Dr. Trevor Cates. Welcome to the Spa Doctor Podcast. Today we're talking about conscious loving and relationships. My guest is Dr. Katie Hendricks, who has a PhD in transpersonal psychology and has been a pioneer in the field of conscious loving for over 40 years. Katie has an international reputation as a presenter and seminar leader, modifying the core skills of conscious living authenticity, responsibility, and appreciation. She is the co-author of 12 books, including the best-selling Conscious Loving, as well as At the Speed of Life and Conscious Loving Ever After. Katie's unique coaching and leadership programs have generated hundreds of relationship coaches in the U.S. and Europe, and she has appeared in over 500 radio and TV programs and traveled well over 1 million air miles as the ambassador for the work that she and her husband, Gay Hendricks, have developed. In today's interview, we cover many aspects of romantic relationships, from new relationships to those lasting over 20 years and beyond. We even discuss what to do before you start dating to help attract the right loving relationship. I asked Katie so many questions, such as, is there such a thing as a soulmate? Do long distance relationships work? Is online dating a good idea? When is divorce inevitable, if ever? Is monogamy the only way? And is it possible to have a loving, intimate relationship into midlife and beyond? So many questions that I've asked her and she answers them all. So it's a bit of a long side of an interview, but I want you to listen to the very end because it's packed full of great information. So please enjoy this interview. Katie, it's so great to have you on my podcast. Welcome. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. Great. So I'm so excited to have you on my podcast. I read your book, Conscious Loving, probably like six, seven years ago. And it's been continuously one of my favorite books on relationships. And so whenever anybody asks me, what's the best book on relationships? I always refer to your book and you wrote it with your husband. And I think yes. that's fascinating. You guys are still together after all these years. So obviously you're doing something right, not just with other people, but with yourself. So mm. I'd love to hear a bit first about what, what made you guys decide to write the book? What led to writing the book? And, and you also do workshops and lectures together. Yeah. We have um, actually now after almost 40 years together, we have a, a, a really big body of work, but it's really all based in when we first met and connected, we had a recognition of each other at a very expanded level. And then we filled in the details like we lived in different cities and uh, you know there were a number of other things that really needed to get handled. But at the core of our relationship was a, a recognition that in love, we can experience our partners as our friends and allies. And that two people together create more energy than either of them has on their own. And so the relationship journey can really be a journey of lifelong discovery and of uh, being uh, a source of both presence and inspiration, but also of challenge um, an inspiration to keep learning about being more and more of who you are. 
we really saw each other's essence. And, uh, and that's really at the heart of all of our work is revealing essence. How can I be more and more fully myself in the presence of someone else? And also this third thing that begins to develop, which is this space between the, the actual co-creativity. It's almost like a third person in the room is the relationship itself. And as each of us were contributing and being and relating to each other, this third thing began to develop. And that's really been very exciting to see over the decades that the practices that we wrote about in Conscious Loving have really stood the test of time. There, you know, that was like 27 years ago, Conscious Loving. And it's the only relationship book that I know that's been in continuous print uh, since it was published. And I feel really happy about that. But at the core of your question, when I got together with Gay, he was already a published author. And at the heart of his genius is writing. He communicates in writing with this kind of clarity and expansion that I think is very accessible to people. And what so I thought, well, gosh, if I can contribute to this at all, I'm happy to do that. And so we started, um, and Gay is also a very, very generous person. You'll see if you look through his biography that he's co-written books with a number of people. And I really admire and appreciate that about him because he understands the power of co-creating, not just creating. And that kind of generosity I first experienced with him when we got together. And we've written 12 books together now. Oh, wow. Uh, Plus he's written, uh, he's written over 40 himself. So the, you know, having kind of coming into a relationship where I had all of these possibilities to, uh, to expand into areas that I had not yet was really, uh, that was a real bonus <laughs> to be able to, uh, to publish and to learn all about that. Cause it's a, it's a whole world of its own, as I'm sure you know. Yeah, and I imagine you've seen a lot of change in relationships over the decades. And so it seems like now there's such a high divorce rate and people are so independent, right? And we want to be independent. I mean, I know that's about myself and many of my, my many of my friends, we want to be really independent. Mm-hmm. So how do we, um, the question is, you know, how do we have be in relationship these days? And um, And so I know you talk about, conscious loving. And so can you explain first what that means? What does conscious loving mean? Conscious loving means that you're awake and that you're able to choose. Most loving is unconscious loving that's based on patterns that you learned, um, not just from parents and seeing what parents do, but from movies, from media, and now, of course, from social media and all of the the different attempts to get your eyeballs. You know, there, we're such an eyeball uh, society now that, that people can get actually disconnected from each other and addicted to the device that's giving you that stimulation, you know, that brain stimulation. So I think that the, in fact, the subtitle to our book, Conscious Loving, was how to be fully yourself, how to be fully together without giving up yourself. 
And we've really seen like from the very beginning that humans have two basic urges. One is the urge to merge, the urge to experience something bigger than yourself, to be able to let go into another. To me, that's one of the, the big joys that I didn't even know was possible. I feel as if I can really let go into gay and he can receive me both energetically and intellectually, and um, he's wonderful to hug, and he stands in himself so that if I give him my full energy, he doesn't bowl over. That's really wonderful. And I think a lot of, especially women, I think are missing that, the ability to really be fully surrendered, not in a, a falling back, but in a really falling forward, and being fully yourself and being met. That, I think, is, is something that only humans can give each other. Mm. And we also have an equally strong urge to individuate. And my sense is that that's what's really up for a lot of women right now, is this urge to individuate, to find your own expression, and to give that into the world, to be able to communicate directly rather than through somebody. Like in my mother's era, it was all about the man. And my father worked for GM. And even at my mother's memorial, one of the people from, from General Motors said, your mother was such a great entertainer. She really supported Bob, my dad, in his work by, by creating an atmosphere of connection. But she was also an, a frustrated artist. That was really her essence calling was to be an artist. And so the division between the roles that were assigned and the things that we really want to do, I think that's an ongoing issue for individuals and couples, but also for our culture. And I think that now we are in an individuation phase as a culture, that people want to do their own thing and not be tied down. Uh, but it's not going to override the fact that we also have an inbuilt urge to experience union uh, and to experience being able to be in a larger space than just our own individual psychology and psyche. Right. And so there's, I know you in the book, one of the big things that I loved about it was uh, shifting away from codependency, which is what a big, I think, one of the, the mistakes that people kind of get into and that causes relationships to be dysfunctional is that kind of being too dependent on each other, right? That codependency. But you describe what another option for that, and you're kind of, you're explaining a bit about that now, and it is co-commitment, co is that what the? Yes, it's yeah. co-commitment. And um, one of the principles that's been really surprising in how powerful it's been for people over these decades is the power of commitment. And most people confuse commitment with constriction uh, and duty rather than what commitment really is, is gathering yourself together and taking yourself in a chosen direction. So commitment is both a place to come home to, like, oh, here's what I really want. Here's what I'm after. And it's also a place to navigate because nobody ever commits perfectly. So what we found was that it's not only commitment, but it's recommitting. So when people commit, like one of the ones that was very powerful for me, one of the commitments from Conscious Loving was the committing to revealing rather than concealing. 
because I came from a long line of, I did a lot of my growing up in the Midwest, and you just simply didn't say anything unpleasant. Or, and it, and it came to be anything real. You just were, you know, nice and uh, seen and not heard, and all of those constrictions on being authentic. But when you commit, what is going to happen is you're going to get to learn the next lesson. We think of committing as like getting in the pool. So if you want to learn how to swim, you can't do it from the side of the pool. You have to jump in the pool, and then you get to find out what you need to learn. So like in swimming, some people are natural floaters and can just go in and just paddle around. Other people who have more lean body mass, they just sink. So committing gets you into the game, and then recommitting keeps you on the path that you want. So we found that committing what is the entry point and then recommitting allows you to learn because your relationships, not just your romantic relationships, but all your relationships, if you commit to learning from every relationship interaction, for example, then your all of your daily interactions can be alive with discovery. And with renewal, because one of the issues in, in relationships is the, you know, same old, same old, you know, finishing each other's sentences, thinking that you know everything about each other. And I think that comes out of the fear of being authentic, because you're going to rock the boat. And the sense of we have to each be in our own lane. Uh, otherwise, we're going to get into power struggles. And we have found lots of practices that we talk about in our books and in our seminars that take the place of power struggles. And one of them is actually committing. And another one is tuning into what do I really want and asking what do you really want rather than what would be a good thing to do, what's my duty here, uh, what would make you still approve of me, really tuning into what is an essence question of what do I really want? And in a co-committed relationship, both of you experience yourselves as whole people. Not the sense, you know, we have people often say, how's your other half or how's your better half? And we consider that really kind of leaning on each other rather than standing as two whole people moving together. Or one of the other things that can happen is getting into control struggles. If you're doing that, how's your other half? Then you have the, no, I'm going to be in charge. No, I'm going to be in charge. And then that angst is what people think of as relationship. But yeah. it's really just a power struggle. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk to you about new relationships. And I also want to talk to you about people that have been in long-term relationships and the keys to keeping people together. But let's talk about new relationships first for people that are either looking to get into a relationship or starting a new relationship. I think one of the things that's come up, especially lately, is the role of men and women and how do we actually um, come together? Because women are, uh, we're, you know, tired of being treated a certain way, being sexually assaulted, uh, being uh, talked down to, or, you know, and, and there are all these issues coming up at work and in social media and in the media. And so for women, we are, we're kind of struggling with this idea of how do we, how do we be sexy without being too sexy? And how do we be in, you know, attract a man without coming across the wrong way? And then mm -hmm. men, 
are also confused about how, how do they not cross the line? How can they, yeah. can they yeah. you, know, I, you know, show a woman they're attracted to them without saying the wrong thing? <laughs> yes, it's, I, I, I totally understand. And I'm really happy that we're in this phase because it's much better I mean, we're like turned over the rocks and we found all of, you know, at least most of the bugs underneath there. And we're, you know, beginning to look at uh, what happens when we shine the light on patterns that have been going on for centuries. And, you know, my sense is, as I'm hearing you talk, is that underneath that, the commonality is coming to relationships from fear. And I'd say of anything that's been going on in the last uh, almost 20 years now, certainly since 9-11, if not before, is what I call the fear trance, is that people are really scared. And there's been a low-level chronic fear that just goes on all the time. And so when I'm in fear, the big thing that happens is that you look like the enemy. So when I'm scared, I can't see you as a possible ally or even somebody that I want to talk to. I, and I'm not aware of it in my cognitive brain. This happens at more the level of our reptilian brain that's been wired in for hundreds of thousands of years. So unless we can acknowledge and shift from what I call fear to here, if I'm here, Oh, I can actually um, be real. And that is our number one recommendation for people who want to attract a mate is to be real. And that involves appreciating yourself, uh, finding yourself lovable, that the real you is lovable, which is a challenge for everybody because our culture also runs by um, making you feel inadequate so that you'll buy something <laughs> so that will, you know, the latest thing that's going to make you more attractive or more. And that's mostly all directed at women because our job for, uh, you know, many, many decades now has been get your man, how to keep and, you know, attract and keep your man. And, and as if that's the woman's job. So for, for both men and women, my sense is that as we, really open up to, I'm, I'm so scared that I don't even know. I don't even know really men. And I think it's true for men that men don't know women. We're not taught to really get to know each other as humans. You know, the sexualized roles that we've been in for so many decades, I think really prevent people from being goofy or being, you know, uh, um, I was just remembering a, a friend of mine who would stick Kleenex up her nose and turn around and, you know, she would do a little skit with, <laughs> you know, to have that kind of spontaneity to play, I think is something that we're really missing and that each of us can start to make friends with fear and befriend fear. I have a whole, we're creating a whole program about that, but in Conscious Loving Ever After, there's a chapter on that, how to move from fear to here to presence so that you can actually come to your relationships with a sense of, here I am and I'm ready to connect with you and see what wants to happen rather than I'm going to check you out. And so from fear, you're already disconnected. Uh, we also have an animation that's on YouTube that's called 
uh, fear melters. So if anybody just goes to YouTube and clicks on fear melters, I have a six minute animation that's all about fear and how to move out of fear. So, you know, my sense is that when you're scared, one of the things you can do is simply wiggle, just and and you can also just say, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, as I'm starting to talk to you, I realize I'm feeling a little anxious. I can feel my heartbeat. And that kind of authenticity also opens up connection, both with you and with the other. So there are things that all of us can do right now that allow us to come to relationship as an exploration rather than as a battlefield. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it is so important for us to work on ourselves and to realize that we are lovable and to be open to that. It, it, and when you go into a relationship from that place, it's, it, I mean, it's just a lot easier, I think, for, for everybody. Yeah. Well, I think it's something becomes possible so that rather than recycling and going into unconscious loving and then wondering why it didn't work, you really get the opportunity to practice conscious loving really step by step. And one of the things I know from having worked with thousands and thousands of people since 1980, when Gay and I first got together, is that the relationship map that we laid out in Conscious Loving and that we've added to with Conscious Loving Ever After, it really works. So I want to invite anybody that if you have any interest in having a, a really dynamic and robust relationship life, the maps that we laid out, I'm, I feel really happy that, you know, because we were experimenting. We didn't know, uh, you know, whether it would work or not. And it really does work. So, um, you know, dive in. And uh, we've got lots of people to, who have been using our work for decades. And so uh, there are lots of folks who can say, here's what I learned. And here's what worked for me. And, oh, no, that one didn't work. But this one really did work. That's great. That's great. So I, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is, is um, online dating, dating apps, electronic dating, basically. What yeah. do you think about these? And there, of course, there are so many different versions. So maybe you have different feelings about different ones. Well, since I've been out of the dating pool since long before there was an internet. So <laughs> I have just, a, you know, I, people tell me about um, you know, dating apps. And, and I've had a lot of friends who have met their mates through online dating. So just to say that I think it is a, a tool, just like any other tool, that um, it makes more connection available when it works. Uh, but I think if you bring your own unconscious patterns to it, you know, you're going to have the same kind of result that you would if you were meeting someone in person. So my my sensitives are our focus on authenticity that uh that has really been a hallmark of our work for all these years of how can i speak in a way that really matches what i'm actually experiencing how can i share myself from the inside out rather than from the outside in so rather than looking good what is it that i'm actually experiencing what do I really like to do? What do I not like? What are my, we have things, we have two uh, distinguishing features that we share with people. One is called the abs your absolute yeses and your absolute noes. And that before people go on to any kind of a dating site, get in touch with your three top things that you really want in a relationship. These would be the things like, if I can't have these three, then I'm not interested. 
So like, for example, for me, top of, of the heap is um, a sense of, of integrity and a sense of wholeness, a commitment to wholeness. Number two is a sense of humor. And uh, number three is a commitment to um, his own creativity. So those are my top three. And Gay met those in a split second. <laughs> and, my, and then also what's really important is your absolute nose. What are the three things that are deal breaker for you? Because we've had experiences with people who had, you know, that feeling in their first date, but they overrode it. Mm-hmm. And that's just a recipe for disaster. Like we had a friend who went out for, a, for her first date and, and the guy uh, drank an entire bottle of vodka at lunch. And she thought, well, maybe he's just anxious. He's <laughs> So she overrode that one. And then, you know, the years of, you know, the mess up and then the having to fix it. So one of my absolute no's is someone who is mean to children or animals. Another one is someone who is actively in the grip of an addiction. So if you got those really clear, those are like your tent poles. Those are allow you to stand and to move forward with a sense of support. So those, that's an example of the kinds of things that can make you, as you're coming to the realm of online dating, you're bringing yourself with you rather than trying to fit yourself into what the, the format is. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, any, any tips on when you're starting your relationship, things to, um, to, to look for, to know, like, this isn't, I shouldn't waste my time on this, or I just, I need to lean in and trust this more, because there is that, that time where it's exciting, but sometimes it is easy to go, well, maybe it's just, you know, Oh, oh yes. that's cute. And that, that, oh, maybe. I, I, I could do a whole seminar on the oh, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, which I call the override. And um, personally, and for all of the women who are close friends of mine, that's where we've gotten into trouble. Because you, <laughs> the problem with technology is that it's making us leave our body wisdom and override our body wisdom. And your body wisdom is such a complex inner computer that has been developed over centuries, all of the information that you carry in your cells. And that information is such a support for making decisions, for knowing, "Eh, not quite sure about this. The first thing that I would look for is what is the quality of the exchange of attention? And you can get that pretty quickly from listening. So does your partner or your date, does he or she or they, do they give you room to speak? Do they let you finish a sentence before they come in? Do they interrupt? But also, are they turning their whole self towards you? You know, or are they kind of looking around and, you know, being distracted, you know, or... Uh, you know, looking down at their, you know, those things may seem very obvious, but they can go on at a very subtle level that you, you can feel like I don't quite have this person's full attention. The other thing I like to have people check into is how do I feel around them? It's not even just do I like them or not like them, but do I feel 
ah, can I breathe easily? That is an incredibly powerful sign because if you want to really expand in your ability to connect, you can't do that if you're contracting. So fear takes us into contraction. And you can feel that the first moment when you're with somebody. In the, you know, back in the day, we used to call it the vibe. What's the vibe? But it's really about, can I just be with this person and feel good being with them? So for me, those, those are two real indicators. And then the third one, which I, I use as a challenge to people, is to say something real and notice how they respond. So to say something like, you know, and it doesn't have to be profound, you know, and, and world-shaking, but um, I've never liked rutabaga. We used to have rutabaga all the time at Thanksgiving, and the smell of rutabaga just made me sick. And then just see how the person responds. You know, it may be like, well, that's weird. Or um, what's a rutabaga? Or, but if they respond with curiosity and a sense of, being real themselves, then you're in flow. There's not a stop sign there, but there may be a caution sign or a stop sign that you can notice if you check your breathing and you check, am I expanding or contracting? And those are signposts that you can use all the way along in your dating life and, and on into your relationship life. Right, right, absolutely. Okay, well, I also was kind of curious. I think you mentioned this, that with your husband, that you had a long-distance relationship for a while. So I was wanting to ask you about long-distance relationship because a lot of things you're talking about, you need to be physically present together to discover this. So long-distance relationships, I mean, what, do, what are you, any tips on that or completely avoid them? <laughs> well, long-distance relationships are very challenging. And um, we've explored with people uh, over the decades, you know, lots of different long distance relationships. And I think they can work for a while, but ultimately a long distance relationship just, I think, adds another stressor into our already very complex lives because you have basically forming a relationship and then dissolving the relationship and forming the relationship and dissolving the relationship over and over again, uh, along with, you know, the demands of somebody's job, you know, moving or being on the road for business, and then the coming and the going uh, is very challenging for people just in general, how people then come together after a day of work. And then uh, it, for most people, that's what, leads to what we call the upper limit problem of when we have the opportunity to get close, it triggers people's fear of, uh, of experiencing that much energy. Because as I was mentioning, when two people get together, they generate more energy than either of them has on their own. And then that really allows you to either expand your relationship or to run into roadblocks, be, generally because you get scared, and it reminds you of something, some familiar pattern that you learned in the past. So I think that gets accelerated in long-distance relationships. The whole, um, do I, my whole getting close and getting separate, you know, urge to merge and urge to individuate, you're doing that all the time. So you don't really have a chance to establish the us-ness 
that keeps getting interrupted because you don't have our house, you know, you have their house or my house uh, or some, or a hotel or someplace where you meet in between. So I think for, except if you have a real nomadic spirit, I think that could work. But I think at some point there's this question of, you know, are you going to move or am I going to move or are we both going to move to someplace, you know, that we both choose? Yeah. So yeah. I wish I could be more positive, but, uh, you know, that's just what we've seen over, you know, over the years. Yeah. So it sounds like if it's temporary or maybe, you know, that, but hopefully the people can eventually get together. Um, so I, well, in fact, we had a, um, some of our closest friends whom we married 15 years ago, met each other at a conference and they lived in, in separate states and they carried on the long distance relationship for several months. And then they both moved to a place that they both liked. So, um, so it can work for sure, but it's very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. So do you believe there is such a thing as a soulmate? Well, I, no, I don't. I think that, um, I think that there are many people in, under the right circumstances whom you could partner with very delightfully for long periods of time. Um, the problem with the soulmate is that it puts a lot of pressure on even a first date. <laughs> you know, like I was just remembering reading a, a, a book to my son uh, years and years when he was a baby called, Are You My Mother? And the whole book was, are you my mother? Are you my mother? And so when you're, you know, are you my soulmate? Are you my soulmate? And that kind of pressure that it puts on both of you to kind of be on your best behavior rather than just being yourself. I, I prefer, um, you know, a, uh, my, my partner, my mate, but um, it's also soulmate sort of puts us into a system that, that may not really resonate with our own preferences. It's got to have these kinds of characteristics. So I prefer who's, who's the person who really can meet me, whom I can be fully myself around and can do what we call tossing. I can, I can throw something out and be received. I can appreciate and be appreciated. We have a, um, an easy commonality with each other rather than, you know, a sense of rigid roles. So I'd say basically no. <laughs> okay. Um, and along those same lines, do you think um, there is such a thing as love at first sight? Yes. In fact, I'm a product of love at first sight. So uh, when Gay and I um, uh, met each other in Jan on January 9th, 1980, we had an across a crowded room recognition of each other. And that was it. There was a, you know, he was looking around the room. He was teaching a seminar at my graduate school. And he went around the room, about two people passed. And then we locked eyes for this infinite amount of time. <laughs> and in, in which sort of everything occurred. And... Uh, so yes, I believe that love at first sight can happen, but it doesn't mean that that the journey is all la la la. la. 
And what if, what if, is it possible that people could have a, a beautiful sustaining relationship without that love at first sight? Oh, absolutely. Oh, uh, yes, of course. Um, I think there's as much variety of love as there are varieties of flowers in the world. Mm -hmm. And the, the basic, our basic job is to celebrate and love ourselves so that we really show up and that we're, we're living ourselves. And that's the best attractor. You know, I'm appreciating myself and I'm moving around in the world doing what I most love to do. And then somebody who, who matches that vibration, which was really, I think, what they mean by soulmate. Someone who really resonates is going to recognize and go, whoa. And then the dance starts to happen, the relationship dance. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Um, so now I know over the decades, you've probably seen a lot of uh, changes with relationships. And one of the things that I've noticed is that the, um, monogamy has come into question and polyamory and open relationships and marriages has become a little bit more popular all of a sudden, like it yep. was, I guess, in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. You know, and then it sort of went underground in the 80s, and now it's coming back again, along with what I'm noticing, too, is a lot more gender fluidity. Mm -hmm. And what I'm, I, I'm appreciating this expansion because I think for all of us, it's going to give us a chance to be as idiosyncratic as we are, that we're not wired up uh, the way society would like us to be. Uh, and a lot of us have that anxiety of I don't fit in, I'm not like the other girls, I'm not really being a man. All of those roles that we're taught, those are all breaking down. And I think that is a really good thing. Yeah. So we have in, currently in our, our seminars and, um, and in some of my advanced training, I have, um, I have some folks who are transgender, I have some folks who are polyamorous, I have some folks who are exploring whether they're going to their how they're going to be expressing their gender i have people who like to be addressed as they that's been a linguistic uh, <laughs> exploration to move from he or she uh, and my sense is that still it's going to be difficult given our society for polyamory to be as easy uh, as relatively easy as more gendered roles are. But the main thing, the, the main reason that I think that monogamy has the, the, the most possibility for us to explore the magic of relationship is because monogamy allows you to go deep. So if I'm committed to expressing my sexuality with one person, you know, and I have clear agreements about what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do, especially when the other person isn't around, it creates a frame of safety, of being able to be fully myself, of being able to find out more and more about the other person. I keep discovering things about gay that, you know, really every day, this combination of deepness and freshness of being able to create variety while knowing another person and being known really deeply. I think that's the gift of monogamy. 
Now, the gift of polyamory, of course, is having lots of different relationships and being able to express different aspects of yourself and not feeling like you have to be everything for your partner, which we don't advise anyway. But that's a lot of what's in the culture is that you're supposed to get the heart of codependence is I'm going to get my needs met from you, not from me, but from you. And if you're not giving them to me, then there's something wrong with you rather than, oh, how can I open up to asking for what I really want, for noticing what I really want and expressing that. But the, the other aspect of polyamory is that I consider it a full-time job. Because <laughs> you got to, you know, who said what to whom and who was with whom and people being in jealousy and, you know, all of these different things that need to be processed, you know, because otherwise you get into a real pickle. And um, so my choice is not an, it's not a, and based in anything other than uh, energy efficiently, efficiency is I don't want to have that full-time job. I got a whole bunch of other things that I want to do in my life and books I want to write and seminars that I want to conduct. So if I'm all the time dealing with who said what to whom and who's sleeping with whom and I didn't get enough of your time and you like her better than you like me, it's just not how I'm wanting to spend my time. Although I've seen, you know, our, our folks who are involved in polyamory, I can tell that, you know, it takes, you know, it is, it takes clock time to deal with it. And so it's just a, a choice. And some people go, well, that's how I want to be spending my time. And hooray, because I think they're broadening the possibilities for all of us. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure how you were going to respond to that. So I really like <laughs> your answer. That's great. Um, great. And so for people who have been in relationship for years and, yes. um, you know, we're, I don't know, like, is, is it the seven year itch? Is it the, the 12 year, the 10 year, what, like 20 year? What is it? <laughs> well, I, I think that all of us are called in our lives to continuously renew ourselves to continuously recreate ourselves. And we know that the cells in our body completely change every seven years. That might be the, the, one of the sources of the seven-year itch. Although uh, Fisher's work you know, in relationship, she talked about four and a half years that most couples stay together. And that's really based on procreation. It's really based on giving the, that time for the mother in the first few years of life to have security, to be able to raise a kid. Um, you know, I think that's what it's based on um, in our, down in our cells and uh, down in our physiology. But my sense is that long-term relationships, there's also some recent research that's come out where they did brain scans of uh, people who were just newly couples and, and then people who were in uh, 20 year or longer relationships and were still considered themselves in love, and their brain scans were the same. So this whole mythology about, you know, enjoy it now because things just keep getting worse is a myth. It's not true. And what, what we've discovered- What do you mean the brain scans were the same? Can you- The brain scans, of, well, when a, when a newlywed, you know, how your brain lights up, you know, your oxytocin and uh, your limbic brain lights up in a certain way when you're in love, and people say that fades over time. Oh. But this latest research says that is not true, that you actually can sustain love over decades. And my sense is the key to that is 
it, what we call you know, expanding into more and more choices, more and more um, renewing yourself with keeping opening up to what can I learn from this interaction? Am I doing what I really love to do? What is it that you really want and how can I support you in having that? One of the things Gay asked me, he just asked me yesterday, is there, is there anything that I could be doing that would make you feel more loved and treasured? And that's a question that we exchange at least every week. So there are, there are very simple but very powerful things that you can do to keep renewing that sense of, oh, you know the you know when i when i walk around the corner and i see gay i have this the same thrill that i had the the very first time that i saw him and i i think we can keep that flame alive uh both in ourselves but also between us and then it starts rippling out into your family your community and becomes a source of Ah, that sense of connection that doesn't just have to be in a sexual relationship. We can become a source of connection and, and collaborating and play and appreciation in all of our relationships, whether it's the relationship with the person in the, the checkout person or with someone that you've known for four decades. Mm-hmm. And so, does, but what about sex? So can it be, can intimacy and, and, and sex continue to be great after 20 years or longer? Well, we have, in fact, in Conscious Loving Ever After, we have a whole chapter on that. And uh, the summary of that is, it just keeps getting better, <laughs> which was astounding to me. Uh, and um, I just turned 70, Gay's about to turn 74, and we have, we have better sex now than ever. You know, more creative, um, you know, deeply satisfying, playful, sometimes very, very funny, sometimes cosmically just, you know, like, <laughs> so that was, that was a very pleasant discovery because it certainly, you know, just even in my parents' generation, I thought, Oh boy, no, I, I don't know if I'm going to want to get to be that old and just kind of sitting around and falling asleep, you know, in front of the television. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's really good news. <laughs> Love yeah, it. It is. It's really good news. And uh, I think it's something that's accessible to any of us who are willing to simply be more and more open and more and more connected. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And that's great. Um, anything that, I mean, I wanted to just touch a little bit on divorce. And I mean, do you, do you think that it's in some circumstances, it is good to get divorced? I mean, people need to go their separate ways. What are, what are your feelings on that? I've, um, in, in fact, we've written articles and we have chapters on, you know, should I stay or should I go? Mm-hmm. And, um, and also, um, what we've seen in our work with people is that there are three kinds of relationships. Most relationships in the bell curve and kind of the center there are what we call learning relationships, that you get into a relationship to learn something that you couldn't learn on your own. Like 
to learn how to be independent or uh, to learn how to share your feelings, uh, to learn how to really commit, to learn to enjoy yourself. So that's most relationships. But on both ends, there are a very small number of relationships that are toxic. And what that means, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with the people. It just means that they're oil and water. They just do not mix. Two perfectly happy, normal people, when they get together, just create chaos. And how you would know that is that you literally make each other sick. So in the, in the relationships that we've studied that we say our job is to help them get separate as quickly as possible, it's because they really do literally make each other sick. They have more accidents, their, their kids, if they're you know, forming a blended family, their kids get sick, have accidents, so you can see it, it's measurable. Uh, and then when those people get separate from each other, they become their perfectly wonderful <laughs> individuals again. Now on the other end of the scale, there are uh, what we call celebratory relationships, a small number of relationships where people are not playing with you know, who am I really and who can I be with you? The job really is to celebrate and to co-create. And we've seen a small number of those relationships, but I think that number is growing as more people are learning how, you know, how to express their own essence uh, and to receive the other. Uh, but I've, we've, we've counseled lots of people to separate. And the, the, the distinguishing factor really is, it does the pain outweigh the promise? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, if people just tune into that, they, they know. And generally, when I give that some time, right? I mean, I think yes. it's definitely not. Yeah. It's not something that you can just go, yep. That. But feeling into that, it's, it's generally pretty clear. And also, if you ask your body. Uh, and uh, one of the things we suggest to people is to step out into the future, to actually literally step out into the future, turn around and face the present and say, I'm so glad that we got a divorce. And then just to notice what happens in your body. Do you get more breath? <sighs> do you feel more peaceful or more uprising energy? And then to do the, the same thing, step out into the future again, turn around and face the present and say, I'm so glad we didn't divorce. I'm so glad that we decided to stay together. And then again, to notice your body response. And those are some things that can give you more information about making a choice. Because I'm sure that there have been, I mean, I'm, I, 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 every time I talk to people who have been in a long relationship, that they all say there are tough times, right? It, and so you might feel at some point that divorce is the only way out or separating but then I've talked to many couples who managed to work through that. That did, did maybe they went apart for a little while and then they came back together, or maybe they just decided. And this, my parents included, um, did this. And they, um, before my father passed, they were together almost sixty years. But they, you know, that I saw them kind of work through things and um, to come out. And so in the moment, it might seem like this is the divorce is on the way out. But if you really just relax into it a little bit, maybe um, come out the other side. Uh, uh, well, we actually did that. We have one of our books, The Conscious Heart, talks about when in 1995, Gay got attracted to uh, a woman 25 years younger than me and, um, and how we handled that. And basically, we used all of the tools that we write about. And 
I wouldn't say we came through the other side. I would say that we recreated. I mean, it polished away anything in me that wasn't me. You know, anyway, I had a, what I would call a very devoted persona, which was really based in my not fully loving myself and thinking if I could just be devoted enough, I could kind of, you know, feel a value through gay. And that all got polished away. And so what we found was that down at the core, we really did love each other. And we, we just needed to learn how to, to unlearn those patterns and roles that, that we had learned in childhood. So I can say, absolutely, it's, it's possible to, to go through what some people call the tough times, but I really call it more of a, is a big learning opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Um, well, Katie, I could keep talking, asking you questions for hours, but um, I know I need to wrap this up. Um, I I have a copy of your book. Um, I'm so glad. After um, and uh, of course, I have the first one because I that's how I heard about you initially. And uh, I tell everybody how they can learn more about you and find your books. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, our main website is hendrix.com, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com, and that has a lot of resources, videos. It um, will show you our in-person seminars and how you can um, look at those and, and uh, come to those to play with us in person. We have on Facebook a uh, Facebook page that's called Hearts in Harmony, and uh, that's where we have daily relationship tips, and we have dozens of videos. We have, um, we have a YouTube channel that also has relationship um, videos, short ones, like how to listen and how not to. We like to play. So we, teach, so we also teach people like what we call bad listening theater. So how not to listen and then how to listen, how to stop an argument, how to really appreciate. Um, so very, our work is really called practical magic. Uh, so we, we like to create magic. We also like to have our feet on the ground. And so uh, we're always creating new resources for people. We have one other website that's called the Foundation for Conscious Living. And that's going to really be devoted to how people can move from fear to hear, regain their resourcefulness, and create caring communities. Because we're really um, wanting to bring conscious loving to a bigger community to all of our relationships, not just our romantic relationships. Great. So those are some of the ways you can get in touch with us. <laughs> all right. Well, Katie, thank you so much. It's been incredible. And I really appreciate all that you've shared and all the questions that you've answered for us. Well, thank you. And I really appreciate um, having the opportunity to interact with you and appreciate what you're doing and contributing in the world. So thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this interview today with Dr. Katie Hendricks and got some tips on your relationship, whether you're actually just looking for a relationship, whether you're new to a relationship, or you've been in a relationship for a while and looking to rekindle it or keep it going strong. So you can also learn more about Dr. Katie by going to thespotdoctor.com, go to the podcast page with her interview, and you'll find all the information and links there. Also, I encourage you to share this interview with a friend. I'm sure you know 
other people with the same kinds of questions that I asked Dr. Katie during the interview. So feel free to share with a friend, someone that you think that would be interested. And if you enjoyed this, hop on over to iTunes and leave a review. Love to see your reviews. And if you haven't done so already, I highly recommend you get your customized skin report at theskinquiz.com. Find out what your skin, your magic mirror is trying to tell you about your health and what you can do about it. Just go to theskinquiz.com. Also, I invite you to join me on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, and join the conversation. And I'll see you next time on the Spot Doctor Podcast. Thank you.